0: doesn't have to be a Christian or a Jew to know the 23rd Psalm. It is beloved in so many quarters of American society and globally for sure. It's the gold standard for presidential funerals. It's spoken at countless ceremonies involving civil religion. It's embroidered on wall hangings and it adorns antique shops. You name it. So in one sense, the words of Psalm 23 roll off our tongue or flow through our minds rather effortlessly, that is, without much thought. But if we were to pause introspectively on different portions of the psalm and ponder what different verses mean or what the psalmist might have meant in his time, I bet we would hear and understand the psalm very differently. Today, in my message, I'm going to zero in on the very last verse of Psalm 23. So as I read this psalm to you now, pay close attention when you hear the word surely, as in surely, goodness and mercy, because that is the beginning of the last verse. Okay, here's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now to my reflection on this ancient psalm here. Take a listen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Presumably, I shall not want or lack for anything. Welcome to the weekend that sometimes is called Good Shepherd Sunday in the church globally, or Sheep Shepherd Weekend, or whatever else it might be. All the readings have sheep in them in one way or another. I think I wonder most years, is this really relevant to our contemporary world? These... Images from a much more agrarian society than ours. Do they speak to these contemporary times? To the hundreds and hundreds of people, for example, in those tunnels beneath the steel plant in Mariupol, Ukraine, trembling sure by the hour without sleep as they continue to be shelled from Russian military rockets. I don't know are these motifs of sheep and shepherd from a bygone era. You know, kind of like talking to teenagers about dialing a phone number when they've never heard of a rotary phone or seen one. And then telling them to hang up, as if you can hang up a a, a cell phone. My own closest contact with the world of sheep is probably that wool sweater I put on in the wintertime or the lamb steak that I choose from the menu about every, once every four years. Still, I love this idea of trusting my life to someone who's capable of planting this deep internal peace within me, or helping calibrate my life with a true center. I love this idea of relaxing into a God who doesn't go AWOL, but who ends up embracing me through some of the darkest and chilliest shadows of life. And if sheep or shepherd language works for that, it covers it, I'm good with it. Welcome to Sheep Sunday. Today I want to draw your attention to just a single verse in Psalm 23. It's the last verse, the sixth verse. Surely... Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell with the Lord forever. There is a verb in that sentence that is typically translated in most Bibles as the word follow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The Hebrew word there is radaf, which is just as faithfully, if not more faithfully, translated as "pursue." And in some of your Bibles at home, go and check, it may say, surely, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. In other words, goodness and mercy are going to hound you. They're going to come after you. They're going to search for you. It changes the whole meaning of this verse from the beloved 23rd Psalm. If you think of God's goodness and God's mercy relentlessly pursuing you, not following you like a puppy dog behind, but pursuing you, seems to indicate that God knows that we can't live without these things. Now ordinarily, when we consider goodness, we generally think of it as being something we aspire to. I want to become a better me, and you want to become a better you. We seek to grow more useful, to become more kind, to become better people. And similarly, with respect to mercy, we beg for it. We yearn for it. If you're in a courtroom and you want the judge to show some mercy, you plead for it. If a cop pulls you over, and you didn't realize you were going so fast, or you're hoping not to get a ticket, you're going to talk as if you didn't realize you were going so fast. You plead for mercy. Or when you offend someone unnecessarily, you just pray that they'll extend mercy. The psalmist here says that God is in the business of pursuing us with goodness and mercy, chasing us down, if you will, with grace. This could create a huge reversal in some of the ways that you and I think about our faith. So often we go looking for God as if we were looking for car keys, you know? God is just missing. I don't see God in my suffering. I can't find God in my grief. I don't know why God left and abandoned me, but maybe I've got to change something up here because I can't find God. It's a hunt, it's a pursuit, it's a chase we make in search of God. Some of you, just by virtue of your age, can remember the outfit that was called American Family Publishers. I have no idea what they published, or who they served, but they did send out these regular computerized notices about their sweepstakes. And Ed McMahon, some of you may remember, was the pitch man. And these were always personalized notices that would come to you in the mail, seeming to indicate that you as the recipient had won some big cash. You may have already won $10 million. The sweepstakes notice would begin. Well, one time the Assembly of God Church in Bushnell, Florida, received one of these sweepstakes letters announcing that God of Bushnell, Florida had just been chosen as a finalist for $11 million. The letter read, as they always seem to read, God, we have been searching for you. What an incredible fortune this would be for you, God. Could you imagine the looks you will get from your neighbors? Don't just sit there, God. Act now. It's that first line of the letter that I love the best. God, we've been searching for you because that's so commonly how we think about God. God, you're missing, and we need to find you. Well, the psalmist suggests that's a little backwards. The goodness and mercy of God are actually pursuing us these aren't things we beg for. These are gifts of God, the very attributes of God's character, primary features of God that God is reaching out and wanting us to receive as orientation for our own lives. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a cell phone, you'd be one of the wallpaper choices. If God sent out a Christmas letter, your name might appear in one of the paragraphs. That's the sense we get, that God is crazy about us, that God believes in you. And God's not going to shut down or call off that pursuit. In the 139th Psalm, the psalmist says, "Um, God, you've searched me and known me. I can't even find a hiding place that you don't already know about and where you haven't already been. Every time I try to hide, you're already there. That's what C.S. Lewis one time spoke of as the relentless seeking of God searching us out. And long before it ever crossed our minds that God might be important to us, God determined that we were important to God's identity. And for all of you parents who are discouraged by your grown kids who don't seem to have any place in their lives for the Christian faith. Do not let go of the knowledge that God remains in search of that son or that daughter and will not let them go. A lot of professionals you know by trade they wait for clients to come to them. It's just the nature of certain professions. Physicians, lawyers, marriage and family therapists, they wait until people have a need. And when you have a need, you call your lawyer or your therapist. Not so with God. God goes in search of us with two gifts in hand, goodness and mercy. Now in modern American Christianity, I'm of the mind that we probably put way too much emphasis on I do this, I believe that, I think this. Since I took Jesus into my heart. Since I accepted Christ as my Savior. Well, wait a minute here. Just think about the Apostle Paul, whom we read about last week on the road to Damascus. Paul, he's not a Christian by his own desire or effort. God chose Paul. And Jesus took Paul all kinds of places, not the other way around. Jesus says to his disciples, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and do all of these creative things with your life. In the third chapter of the book of Genesis, the very first question in the Bible out of the mouth of God is, Adam, where are you? Adam thought he could hide, but God seeks him out and in fact, knows him. The whole thing I'm trying to say between God and us was God's idea before it was our idea. Jesus says in John's Gospel, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and do creative things with your lives. I sometimes wonder if I get it wrong up here. And that you hear the sermon as, what's required of us? What's my assignment for the week? What's the expectation of how I'm supposed to live? Rather than, what is God doing to capture my attention, my devotion, my affection? A few years ago in Aspen, Colorado, a guy named Billy Boyd was raking the leaves in his yard. And um, he realized at the end of the day, Uh, or the next morning after he put his leaves out that he couldn't find his cell phone. And it occurred to him that it it had to fall out of his pocket and he, he raked it up with the leaves and he put it in the leaf bags. And the trash collector had taken the leaves so he called the city, he got access to the recycling garbage leaf compost area and with his wife's cell phone for 30 minutes. He kept dialing his number, which is what my wife and I do when we lose our cell phone. We take the other phone and we call to find the phone. And he found it after 30 minutes rummaging through all this compost and leaf work. This is how I think of God in search of us. How precious that God would have goodness and mercy out there pursuing us with that all of the time. And you know as well as I do do, that we owe our lives to the mercy of God for all the ridiculousness that we participate in or commit. We owe our lives to the goodness of God. Surely, the psalmist says, with all the confidence, all the certainty in the world, surely, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Not some of the days, not most of the days, all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You talk about a love passage, that's it. Psalm 23, verse 6. Amen. Join me, if you wish, in speaking the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We owe our lives to the mercy and goodness of God. So go and live now in that confidence that not some days of your life, not most days of your life, but all the days of your life, goodness and mercy will pursue you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you today and always. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and thanks for your support of the Ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.